Dr. Tori Seppa completed her internship in family medicine at Kaiser Permanente Los Angeles, then went on to complete a psychiatry residency at L.A. County, USC. She has studied physician burnout syndrome extensively, and it's a topic that is very personal to her, and she discusses why. We then define the syndrome, what the major causes are, what the consequences are, and what has actually been proven to help. Among them is connection. Her Facebook group, Physician to Physician, Healing the Practice of Medicine, has become a signal in the noise surrounding burnout, providing us with a community of physicians who understand the hardships of our field and can help. She's worked extensively in correctional medicine, having served as the chief psychiatrist at the California Institution for Women, being the first female chief psychiatrist at that prison. Since 2018, Dr. Seppa is back to being a community psychiatrist seeing patients with HIV in an integrated clinic, and running her own interventional psychiatric clinic, which focuses on deep transcranial magnetic stimulation, as well as reproductive psychiatry, neuropsychiatric disorders, and early diagnoses of schizophrenia. Dr. Seppa is an assistant clinical professor at the Department of Psychiatry at the Keck School of Medicine at USC. Prior to becoming a physician, she was a journalist and assistant editor of Ms. Magazine, writing the health column which prompted her interest in medicine. Dr. Seppa can be reached at her self-titled site, Tori Seppa, MD, and on Twitter, at Tori Seppa, MD. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee, and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. This episode is brought to you by Orange County Bookkeepers Healthcare Accounting, an all-in-one accounting firm for small healthcare businesses and private medical practices. One thing that I personally love about OCB accountants is that they are QuickBook professionals with over 20 years' experience, focusing specifically on healthcare. They utilize a tailored approach individualized to your needs. They're a full-service bookkeeping firm specializing in accounting, payroll, taxes, and financial planning. And for our listeners, for a limited time, they are offering 25% off their services for the first three months. You can visit them at ocbmed.com, that's O-C-B-M-E-D, or call at 833-671-3873 or 949-215-6200. And check out the show notes for more information. Dr. Tori Seppas, thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. So there are a lot of misconceptions out there about physician burnout and physician burnout syndrome. And I'd actually never heard of it referred to as a syndrome until I read one of your blog posts. Um, so I think if you just call it physician burnout, I might qualify for that because in the most general sense, I'm feeling pretty burned out right now. I have a three and a half year old, a two year old and a four month old, and they're all sick and nobody's sleeping and we're all miserable and I'm feeling pretty burned out. But, but that's not what burnout is, right? That's not what we're talking about when you're, when you specify as physician burnout syndrome. So how do you define the syndrome? I'm really, thank you for having me. And I am very grateful that you asked that question. Uh, the definition is not insignificant because 
we have a way of def- if we have a way of defining something, then we have a much better way of perhaps utilizing interventions that might be effective. We know there is a definition of burnout syndrome, and we've had that definition actually for some time. It's based on the work of a psychologist who was a seminal psychologist in organizational psychology, Dr. Maslach, who defined through lots and lots of research the burnout syndrome as a three-pronged syndrome involving emotional exhaustion, which basically means what it is. You know, you have really nothing left to give. And then secondarily, something that I, I think is a little bit poorly worded, depersonalization, which essentially means having negative feelings towards patients. And then lastly, having a sense of low personal accomplishment. So these three indices together, when they reach a certain level, define physician burnout syndrome. And we actually can measure that using, historically, it's been the MBI or the Maslach Burnout Index in, in most studies. And it's why it's important is because I often see that it's referred, burnout, 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 is referred to so many different situations that are not necessarily physician burnout, are, but are stress, for example, or physical fatigue, which everyone can have and everyone will have. Those are not the same as physician burnout syndrome, and thus the ramifications of those are not the same as physician burnout, and our interventions for those should not be the same. So with regard to interventions, of the following, which do you think are the most useful for treating burnout syndrome, physician burnout syndrome? Is it is it meditation, yoga, or vitamin injections? Which of those three do you think are the most useful? I'm just kidding. That no, that is that's that's uh, right because that's uh, that's a lot of what we're being told now. Yeah. It's like I'm sorry that you're yes you're going through this. You know what you should do? Try yeah. meditating or journaling, or, you know, right? Like those are the solutions that we're being given. So that's exactly right. And they're in the elephant in the room. If you realize the fundamental problem with those three uh, solutions, what's the, what, what is the problem there? What do you think? It's not that there's anything wrong with yoga or meditation. I always say those have shown to actually meditate mindfulness and yoga do reduce stress for a three-month period. You know, in studies, we see that they, they can sustain or sustainable, at least for right now, for a three-month period in reducing stress. But what is the fundamental problem when we look at physician burnout syndrome and using those is that where they are placing the burden of the problem is on the physician. So the message is you are lacking something. Either you're too tightly wound, you're too, you're not, you're, you're, you're not relaxed enough, you're too stressed out. All of the reasons and all of the ways in which you were selected to really perform 
and excel in this profession, which is how you got this far, we now want you to actually undo that and go learn yoga, stop checking laps on patients at night, because apparently that's stressing you out and burning you out. We want you to now go learn how to become mindful on your weekends, by the way, and sign this form saying you did it on your own time. But, but we're not going to find someone to check those labs for you. You're still going to be responsible for checking those labs. Just make sure you do your yoga before and after you check those labs, because if something happens, you're still responsible for it. That's right. So it's all of what happened. That, that has been the most troubling component is that we skipped a lot of steps in not addressing physician burnout appropriately. We went from, oh, doctors have, quote, burnout. Therefore, it must mean they can't control their own workload. They don't have lives. They don't know how to control their stress. Something is wrong with them. So let's start sending them to mindfulness training. And yet, we don't really know whether that works or not. And now nobody asked. We're just giving more, putting, adding more to these physicians' plates. Now we're, now we're telling doctors, not only are you a stress case, you've got to now learn how to become a mindful stress case. So you've got to learn mindfulness in addition to uh, checking your inbox and getting through the 30 tasks. You've got to do it in a mindful way. Oh, my favorite is when you get the the incomplete because you you haven't taken that hour and a half course yet on mindfulness. So we can right. check the box that says that we, as an organization, are addressing physician burnout. That was definitely something that I had to do for one of the hospitals where I had privileges. It was just something else to add onto my plate as if I didn't have enough. Time. That's exactly right? the problem. And, it, yeah. and assumption, the underlying assumption is the problem is with the physician. The problem is you're either too wound up or conversely, by the way, you're not resilient enough somehow. And if you were, you lost your resilience. I always say this, how, how is that possible? So somebody was resilient enough to get through medical school, residency, you know, all of that. And all of a sudden they're not resilient enough. They need resiliency. They need to go and learn resiliency all over again. How does that happen? How do you lose your resiliency? Why don't we step back and look at what the actual contributors to physician burnout syndrome is? I, I've sat down at the table at, with people who, you know, the executive table of, of companies, healthcare institutions, and said, you know, their intentions are very well. And they really want to help physicians, but there is this place that they start is completely wrong, which is they're starting at all the way at out in Z, where they, they don't start at A, which is first let's start with what is this? What is physician burnout syndrome? What isn't it? Then from there, let's go to what are ways and what are the evidence-based interventions, if there are any, by the way. And then from there, what are the, why does this matter? Why would we want to address this? What are the ramifications of this? 
how, why are we all invested in this? Not just as physicians, but as a community. Why does this matter to patients, to nurses, to administrators, et cetera, lawyers, et cetera, et cetera? That discussion, I rarely hear in that way. Most of the time, what I hear is a company will have physician coaching, mindfulness training. They'll have a retreat for doctors. They'll have somebody come in, give a speech about how to increase their resiliency and improve their balance, their workload balance. So it sounds to me that this is similar to what the the general public thinks is wrong with doctors in that in that when a patient comes in, we're trying to treat their symptoms. We're not trying to treat the underlying problem, which is completely untrue because it's not like when someone comes in, we don't do, we do our best to try to get them to move more and increase their physical activity and, and eat better. And is we're not just trying to, and get them to quit smoking. We're not just trying to push pills on them. We're pushing pills on them because we've tried all those other things and, and they don't work. So we're just, we're just doing the best we can. So we're trying to get at the underlying problem, not just treat the symptoms, but it sounds like in this situation, they're just trying to see, treat the symptoms. They're not trying to get at the underlying problem. Although arguably it is very hard to get, like to make big system changes like this is much more costly and it's much harder than, you know, a yoga yeah. retreat or, or, or whatever it is. But so, so, so let's talk about that, right? So the symptoms of physician burnout syndrome, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and a sense of low accomplishment. Yes. So what are the causes? Good question. So the, the causes have been pretty consistent, I must say, consistently identified as being the same since we've been measuring them in the last decade or so. The top contributors are loss of autonomy, the electronic medical record system, and um, having feeling, I, I just read the new the newest study that came out by Medscape, which is feeling like a cog in a wheel, which I think is also related to loss of autonomy. Those are essentially, the top two have been loss of autonomy, the impact of the electronic medical record system, and the shift to the shift in healthcare system from administrative, large administrative burden um, has been the consistently identified over the last decade as the root contributors to physician burnout syndrome. I would say that with no expertise in this area, but I would say that you could probably lump EMR into increased administrative burden because what you're doing, the problem I don't think is the EMR itself, right? Like I can now read someone's chart and figure out what's going on without having to translate you know, someone's horrible handwriting. So, and and then I can use dictation software. You can use a scribe. We can have templates. So there are a lot of ways in which the EMR is actually a good thing. It makes us more efficient. But all of the garbage that we have to enter Mm -hmm. um, is is unnecessary and um, but but it's it's been put upon us by the powers that be so I, I I think that you could really lump into the administrative burdens because it's not the EMR itself uh, it's it's the administrative burdens that are cooked into the EMR so that the data can be collected and used by someone far away and not actually help the physician 
and help the patient at the time. Yeah, overall, you know, it's true. There's a lot of overlap in the way the um, one can look at this, one can interpret the studies and the way the uh, the wording um, is, is described in terms of causes, there's quite a bit of overlap. For example, the top etiology most recently recognized is excessive charting paperwork. Okay, but then there's, again, increasing computerization of practice. Well, those two are very, are, you know, intimately related. And then there's loss of control and autonomy, 24%. Say contribute that say that is the main contributor, but then twenty two percent feeling like a cog, uh, a cog in a wheel. Well, those two are very similar, correct? So there seems to be overall a very consistent message that there is a disconnect in terms of physicians feeling that they have a voice in their work in the design of their work, and also feeling a disconnect in terms of when it seems work ends and begins, which appears to have, appears to be related to both the inefficiency of the electronic medical record system, but also the problem with the electronic medical record system continuing to be on correct so i have an app right on my phone it gives me messages constantly <laughs> that you know there's an inbox in there hey patient message hey refill this this inbox hey labs during you know and that is really actually disruptive you know I, i'm at my oh you need to get that off your phone yeah exactly that sounds horrible i don't i don't have that on my phone i have to log in on my laptop on my system so when i you know that Right. And, you know, at least the way that my practice work, we have a doctor on call. If there's an emergency, they'll call the call. Right. There's the, there are these things in the way that, that, that there are these barriers, which, you know, they're barriers for the patient, but ultimately they insulate us from having to have that feeling of being yeah. on all the time. So. And that's what we, and, and it's important that that is, you know, I talk to so many doctors and they'll say, what do I do? I have, I have been told to download this app. Uh, you know, am I supposed to check it all weekend? These are gray areas, though. So these are new gray areas. These are not, we don't, what I always tell doctors, and, and I learned this later in life, where is it in your contract? Where is that app in your contract? Yeah, you've got to, you've got to, I guess a solution to that would be sort that out. Like exactly. talk to whoever's, right. So you're not, you're, you're, whoever that is, whoever's getting those messages is not the owner of their practice. They're, yeah. they're employed because if they were the owner, it wouldn't be such a gray area. Right. Um, find out, address it, address right. it. Don't be afraid. like, find out where your responsibilities start and end and do your best to, to, to get, get protected time. That's where we also have a problem as physicians. And that's not, and when I say problem, it's, this is probably something that I, spend the most time talking to physicians, both in our group and individually, is this isn't about resiliency, but this is the culture that we learn. Medicine is one of stoicism. So we don't ask whether we're supposed to see that patient on that time. We usually do what we're told, right, in training. That's how we are 
trained. I mean, I'm not proposing that that's the healthiest way of learning medicine, but that's the culture in which we learned how to become physicians was not by placing limits or boundaries. Yeah, if you don't wake up at midnight to check that lab, you clearly don't care about your patients, right? That's what the message is. You're not going to make it. You're not going to finish residency. And so we have been, it's hardwired in physicians to um, grin and bear it. And we are a group that has a very difficult time setting boundaries for ourselves and saying, hey, you know, do I have to check this app all weekend long? Or, uh, you know, uh, I mean, does it make because you feel, well, maybe I'm a bad doctor if I take this app off my phone? Or, geez, you know, maybe I'm supposed to. I mean, I, you know, that's what I signed up for. I mean, I'm a doctor. I, we just don't do that because we've never, never done that. One of the things that I am trying to work on collectively is identifying the difference between becoming stronger as a group of physicians does mean identifying what we are capable of doing long-term and maintaining that is actually going to have an impact on our patients. So we will be better doctors if we can say, okay, how, how long can I sustain this? How long can I really check these, you know, this app every weekend, you know, and still love what I do and do it well and have a, have a life that's fulfilling. <clears throat> and in order to do that, it means having a conversation with other doctors and saying, Hey, do you find that this is, um, this is kind of intrusive or what are your thoughts? And as it's much easier when you approach it as, <clears throat> as a group of physicians than by yourself. And having physician camaraderie, you know, we have a much stronger voice when there are a few of us than just one of us. Well, I think that is an excellent segue into talking about your, your Facebook group. Great. Right. You're the, the, the power of the community, the power of connection. So tell us about the Facebook group and then, you know, starting with, with its origins. Why, why did you start it? Why is it so personal to you? Yes, yes. Um, I started it in a general sense. There is an evidence-based, one of the truly, uh, probably the most consistent and the highest level of um, evidence-based intervention for physician burnout syndrome is peer-to-peer, that's true peer-to-peer, that means physician-to-physician support. And ideally, it would be one hour a week during the work week, by the way, without any administrators or supervisors in the meeting. Um, that has been you know, shown in randomized controlled trials even to reduce physician burnout and prevent it. I did a study in residency on physician burnout syndrome um, when I was a third year resident in psychiatry comparing burnout between two specialties and also between residents and attendings. And we were pretty surprised that our residents did not have a reduction in resident in their burnout syndrome as they escalated through training, meaning as their call dropped. And our attendings had higher burnout syndrome than attendings in another specialty, despite having, you know, essentially no call, right? Something was amiss. That was in 2011. 
when I did that study. And there was a wake-up call when I did that study. And it was a big program. It was at US LA County, USC. So the N, if you will, was large enough where you know the, the results were were significant. Um, and we as a result implemented a group, a peer-to-peer group. Um, for one of the resident classes, which was a third-year resident class, and, and I led the group as a pilot. I found from that, that was the starting point, and I did that for another three years, expanded it to OBGYN residency, um, et cetera. Fast forward, years have passed, and physician burnout, you know, there at USC, LA County, um, that model actually built on itself. Every class now in the psychiatry department actually has a peer-to-peer group and is, you know, self-sustaining. I I returned to this concept when one of my classmates from medical school uh, took his own life two years ago. It was quite a surprise to me. He was, you know, somebody who uh, was, you know, I was shocked, I have to say. I, I felt a degree of blame because I had been in contact with with him on Facebook and you know he hadn't come to our reunion and I had reached out and I'd noticed some some things, some signs on you know and some posts, but I had really been dismissive of of them even as a psychiatrist because he was a physician. I just thought, well yeah, I'm just I'm reading too too far into this. He'll he's fine, you know and and I deeply regretted not reaching out and not doing more to find out how he was doing. I was very troubled by his loss because it wasn't just a loss for, for me in terms of a friend, but it was a loss for his community, a loss for his patients. Anytime a physician takes their life, we lose 3,000 patient contacts just a year. So physicians are, there's a multiplier effect. So we lose a million patient contacts a year just due to physician suicide. And Jason was a vet veteran, so very unique physician in that sense and his connection with patients. I just felt it was a tremendous loss. And when I went back and looked at statistics of physicians who do complete suicide, I was rather shocked at how little we know about physicians who complete suicide. But what we do know is that 85% of them do not access any psychiatric care, including not being even diagnosed with depression or anxiety. And most of them are feel lonely and isolated. And that made sense. That made a lot of sense to me. He had recently moved to a new state and it seemed that a community was something that had been protective, not just for Jason, but is protected, had been protective for me when I was in medical school and residency, something that I desperately missed even as I was progressing in my career. In It would be ideal to set up in-person groups for physicians. I felt if at the minimum, I could set up a virtual doctor's lounge, if you will, where there's a safe space for doctors to just say how they feel maybe. Maybe we can... Maybe they can reach out to me. Maybe I can help get them, you know, somebody they need to talk to, or I can, they can just feel like they're not alone uh, in how they're feeling. Maybe that would prevent somebody like Jason from becoming increasingly isolated and feeling, getting to the point that he did. And that's how it started. And we now have a close to 3,000 physician members. It's been incredibly gratifying to have a place where uh, doctors can 
go to to say how they feel if they're having a bad day does appear to be that physicians will open up to other physicians more readily. Which makes makes sense. sense. It makes sense, right? Human beings are tribal and, and physicians are a tribe. We get each other, right? We have this, this experience in, in the same way that particular to, to Jason, yeah. veterans, right? Yeah. They have this, this unique lived experience that only veterans get, that only veterans understand. Absolutely. Physicians, you know, I'm not comparing the two experiences. We don't go through what they go through, but we do have this unique lived experience that only other physicians get. So it, it makes sense that we'd open up to each other because you know what? I know the person reading this gets it. I know that yeah. they get it because they went through what I went through. They're going through what I go through. And they, and you, I think the importance, one of the things that we work very, very hard on in the group is four, four of us now who are the administrators in the group. And we work very, very hard having physicians learn how to mentor each other in the group because we treat each other sometimes worse than we treat anybody else, interestingly, because that's how we learned to be. It's like how you treat family sometimes. So a lot of it is relearning and modeling. We are, you know, we go back to, it's very interesting to see, uh, to see physicians and I'm certainly not perfect. And I've done this as well, which is we can regress back to our training days when we learn in a specific way. And when we are stressed, we're not always the most tolerant. Um, with each other, by the way. We are with patients, but we're not with each other. And part of what we work on in the group is learning to not have an answer for each other. We're not here to judge other physicians. We're not here to tell physicians what to do. We're not here to give people, you know, their, uh, you know, a path this is the thing you should do to not do that. You shouldn't have done that. Most of the time, what the group, what we're trying to teach physicians is building camaraderie, true camaraderie, which means listening and accepting the physicians because we need each other in the end. There's not a lot of physicians anywhere. Actually, wherever you go, we're always just a few of us. And that in itself is a significant goal of the group is relearning how we relate to each other as well because we are very we are more comfortable being not so great with each other at times and that is something we also work through in the group and we can't afford to turn our backs on each other there's not enough physicians so we work on that in the group as well you know we give people a lot of chances in the group you know a lot of feedback on how to come back, you know, let's, let's approach this this way. Let's work together because we want, we have young physicians. We have older physicians. We have male physicians. We have female physicians. We want a group that is truly diverse and reflects the reality of the physician workforce, right? And that takes a lot of work to sustain um, all of these people having conversations, right? But that's important. That's the other facet of it is being able to hear each other among the noise. So you took this this issue, right, that led to the loss of your friend and colleague, the isolation, and you turned it on its head, right? You gave you you created this forum for connection. So that was your response to that 
I, I think that's incredible. And I think the fact that we have so many physicians, that being said, there are a million physicians yeah. in the country, right? And only 3,000 of them are on this Facebook group. And I'm sure tons more are would, would, be, would be helped by this, right? Yeah. More connections, because it's just exponential, right? The more physicians you have, the more yeah. physicians you can connect with each other, and the more we can we can help each other yeah. and create create this community, right? And I think it's just like you said, it's from our training. In our training, right? You have to go it alone. You got to do it alone. You got to achieve, and you got to beat your competitors. You got to beat yeah. your classmates. Your rank in class needs to be better than theirs if you're going to get the competitive spot. And now we have to look past that and work together. And yeah, there's a lot that we're up against, right? We will not make it if we're not going to be a solid group. So um, we won't survive because we are outnumbered in every, uh, this is the first year, 2019, where there were more physicians employed than owners of practices. So that, and that means that in any administration, there's, you never are going to have a majority of physicians, right? And we're only headed more in that direction, right? The more complicated this gets, the more infrastructure you need for billing, the more infrastructure you need for your electronic medical records and charting, the less you're going to be able to have a physician-run practice, the more you're going to need the infrastructure of a much larger organization. So it's, it's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better. That's exactly right. And if we have to learn, and, and this is something we talk about also in the group, is I think we have subdivided and subdivided and more can our little tiny into our sub sub specialties. It's like red diet, you know what? Gosh, like, you know, not just psychiatry, but it's like, Oh yeah. I can, uh, yeah. In, in, uh, in my field, right? Like I'm not specialized enough as an ear, nose and throat doctor. We have rhinologists and otologists and neurootologists and facial plastics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or ophthalmology. Wow. Like retina. I thought yeah, there's there are eight different we had we had a, an episode of that a, a little while ago where apparently there are eight eight subspecialties in ophthalmology. It's it weighs an eyeball weighs an ounce, and you have eight different fellowships. And everybody, and here's the thing is, and I can tell you right now, because I've sat, you know, I I had the 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 true privilege of of having a a seat at the the big boy table and that hurts us extremely when we are so subdivided and can't see beyond our sub 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 specialty we've got to be a we are physicians or we're gonna that's how we get pay disparity that's how we get essentially moved into this position of not having very strong bargaining power we are not very powerful in our, you know, as a one forensic psychiatrist, like in the hospital, you know, it's just like, so what if I think, you know, I click 86 times to close a note, who cares? I mean, there's like one person, right? Whereas as a group, we actually have a voice. We, you know, we, each physician creates 17 jobs, 17, just by existing. Okay. That's quite we also don't know our worth. That's the other thing. We're, we're incredibly, we've managed to not understand our, our impact on the larger economic ball. That's where oh, yeah. we direct so much of the money in healthcare, right? The healthcare is just, it's a huge percent of the GDP and who's deciding how that money is spent physicians. So our impact on the system is, is tremendous. Instruments. And yeah. if we actually were able to see ourselves as 
we did in medical school as physicians or as med students as one unit, you know, and even in residency, I think we were probably more cohesive than we become as we kind of progress. You know, we start to fall more and more into our specialties and it does not benefit us. And we know that if we look at the bills that we're seeing go through in terms of Medicare reimbursement, we know it's not helping us to be seeing ourselves as subspecialists and specialists. We know that we're losing. We're, you know, we, we are not because there is no, how should I say it? There's the American Academy of Nurse Practitioners. There's the American Academy. There's the American Psychological Association. There's not, the AMA is then, there's AMA, but then there's also then all of these other subspecialties, right? There's like the APA, there's the AFP, and we're, you know, we're all over the place. And we have not really stood behind one strong lobby and it shows, I'll tell you that. If you oh, yeah. look at the number of residency positions that are increasing at 3% per year, as opposed to our medical student admission rate has gone up 10%, which it should, they, they adjusted their rate. But Senate has only approved a 3% increase in terms of residency positions. So we have 7%. Where is this gap? So we have more than 1,000 physicians in the U.S. We create each year. We're standing there unmatched. Okay, but just to, and then we're talking about a physician shortage and increasing provider status for everybody we can. And we have more than a thousand physicians standing there every year unmatched. And that partially is because we're we're not quite united yet. And you know, we're 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 still thinking about what what little subculture of psychiatry do I belong in, right? Well, to, for all its flaws. Yeah. This is one place where Facebook, I think, has been of, of a great benefit yeah. because I'm a member of the Physicians on Social Media yeah. uh, that uh, Dana Coriel started, right? That's that's just growing exponentially. So now I have this community of doctors on social media. I'm a member of Passive Income Physicians and the White Coat Investor Facebook group because here's another. If you can gain financial independence, then if you're suffering from burnout, you're financially independent. So you can go tell your employer to screw off and you can find a job that works for you and work and work on your own terms. So they're all, you know, that with regards to social media, we're able to amplify each other's voices. And then with your group, we're able to find a community to help us, right? It's physician to physician healing the practice of medicine. So we're able to help us heal each other, heal each other through difficult times. So for all Facebook's flaws in this one regard, it's really helped us to coalesce in these communities, which might be disparate, but right, like I would have never interacted with you for my entire life had the, these things not existed. And now, you know, we're able to, to amplify each other's voices and connect with each other. I completely agree. Facebook has changed the way physicians organize. We have grassroots organizing we're doing. We are campaigning for, you know, patients' rights on Facebook. I mean, we have finally have a voice. I think we found each other. I mean, where it sounds really cheesy maybe, but, you know, we're, we finally, I think are, we are utilizing it in a way that is beneficial both in creating a community that's helpful for us and ultimately is going to have a larger impact on improving healthcare. Because if doctors are healthy and staying alive and happy, then that's going to, tr- we know that trickles down. We know that. We know that from studies. Oh, well, that's, yeah, that's a whole other issue is that physician burnout syndrome affects patients, patient outcomes. 
And, and it makes sense, right? Because one of the symptoms is depersonalization. So if you depersonalize your patients, right, that, that will ultimately affect their outcomes. Well, unfortunately, we can't open that door right now because I know you have a patient to see and I've, I've got to go uh, pick up my kids from school. So we've, um, but it's, it's really been great talking to you. Where can people find you online? Yes, I can be, well, on Twitter at Tori Seppa, M-D, T-O-R-I-S-E-P-A-H-M-D. And uh, our Facebook group, I think the best way is to just look at the link. It's for, we go through a, it's not an, it's a closed group. So we go through a vetting process for physicians and physicians in training. It's called Physician to Physician Healing the Practice of Medicine. And my website is based it's linked to my practice in large part, but it does have a link to the my writings on Kevin MD. So it's www.toriseppamd.com. Well, Dr. Tori Seppa, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been great talking to you. Likewise. Thank you again. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on the Physician's Guide to Doctoring.